If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and get it out. Let's um, kind of dig into the Word this morning. We're going to go to 2 Peter chapter 1, which is a passage that we're going to, uh, we're going to stay in it for uh, a number of weeks this fall and try to understand uh, how we can participate in change, how we can really begin to experience gospel transformation in our own lives. And Dave, why don't you come on up and uh, would you read this passage for us? Second Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 1 through 9. Now, how I want you to hear this as Dave's reading this is what we're talking about <clears throat> is change. How do I begin to really experience this gospel transformation that we hear so much about here? In my own life. Go ahead, Dave. This is verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Okay, stop right there. All, I always wanted to do that. Have you ever seen those churches where the pastor stops the reader and then starts preaching? I'm sorry. I just wanted I get, to do I, that. I, I don't I know get, why. I get, I get to stand here for the whole sermon? Yeah, dude. I've seen sermons right. like that. Right. I, that would be awesome. Anyway, I'm sorry. Would you like me to re restart? <laughs> Please. Verse 1, again. Uh, Simon <laughs> Stop Peter. right there. No, I'm kidding. You read it, man. I'm going to shut up. I'm going to stand over here. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to your goodness knowledge, and to your knowledge self-control, and to your self-control perseverance, and to your perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Okay, we're going to spend the next six weeks or so unpacking what you just read. And you notice in this passage, it talked about that there's an escape that's going on, escaping this world and its evil corruption and its desires. And I don't know what image you have when you think about escape, but it's an image of being trapped in something, and this change that we're talking about is helping us to escape. And what we said last week was that He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. If that is true, why does it often feel that that's not true? Why do we often live our lives as if that's not a reality? We talked about last week is because what we're being called to do is to participate in the divine. When we participate in the divine, it begins to reveal to us that we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. It opens our eyes to what is already there. It's much like uh, if you've ever heard a story of like a Picasso 
uh, that somebody bought at a garage sale because some kid colored a painting over it, you know, and as you remove the kid's coloring, you begin to see this priceless Picasso. And so what, we're not talking about change that happens because you do something. We're talking about change that has already happened in your life. And what we're participating in is beginning to reveal what's already taken place. You with me? So how do we participate with the divine? We participate with the divine through faith. That's what we're going to talk about today. Because, I mean, imagine faith like being something, like tangible and real. What, what is it? Like, like, what is faith? Like, how, where does this come from? Like, where does this come from? And how much of this do I need to participate in the divine? How much of this do I need to really experience change in my life? You know, it's a funny thing because uh, faith in our culture, many people would say that it really doesn't matter what this faith is in just as long as you have faith. And if you're sincere about your faith, if you're sincere about being a spiritual person, then, uh, then it's all going to be okay because all journeys of faith lead to the same place anyway. You know, and then if you grew up in the church, maybe you heard something very differently. Maybe what you heard is that faith is actually heaven money. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like heaven currency. That, you know, Jesus went to the cross and he died for me, and then he rose again from the dead. And if I want a piece of that action, then what I have to do is I have to kind of bring my faith into the equation, and I'll tell God, God, I tell you what, I'll trade you my faith for Jesus' salvation. You ever heard that? To where what God is waiting for me to do is that God's sitting in heaven and Jesus has died for me and he rose again and God is saying, come on, come on, have faith, trust in me, give me that faith so that I can save you. God's sitting up there chewing his fingernails wondering what we're going to do. Will we spend our heaven money and get the good stuff? You know, because maybe some of you grew up in a tradition where you've heard this. If you're sick, it's because you like faith. You don't have enough faith because God heals the sick, right? And how does he heal the sick? When you spend enough of this currency, then God shows up and does what you want him to do. Or if you're poor, it's because you don't have enough faith. Because if you had enough of this stuff, then God would trade you lots of this stuff for that stuff. Matter of fact, here's what you ought to do. You ought to seed. Have you ever heard this? I, we ought to seed that stuff because when I seed that, God goes, I got you. I'll, I'll tenfold that. I'll, give you, I'll take your one. I'll give you ten. Okay? And it's this trade-off. It's this currency. The beautiful thing about those who preach this philosophy that God wants me to be wealthy and he wants to be healthy and he would never call me to self-denial. You know, the beautiful thing about that is that they're saying that a life in Christ is a life of faith. It's true. But is that what the life of faith looks like, where I'm trading God for his blessings? Well, let's go to Scripture. And we're about to go to a lot of Scripture, okay? It's going to be on the screen. I want you to write it down if you can, because uh, I think some of this may be controversial for some of you, all right? Because the answers to all your questions are, uh, 
Wouldn't that be hilarious? That's where I dropped dead. Boom. He had it. What? No. Here's the good news if I drop dead right now that uh, it's not me that has it. The reason we're going to so much Scripture is because I want you to understand that we use Scripture here because we believe that it's the infallible Word of God. That if God is God, God can do whatever He wants to do. And one of the things that He wants to do is reveal Himself to us. And we can't find Him unless He does that. And the way He does that is through His Scriptures. So what we're about to go to is Scripture to let you see what God has to say about this issue of faith. All right? So let's go to the first passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2. Paul is saying, And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. So the first thing I want you to consider is that Paul is saying not everybody has this thing called faith. So that seems odd, because if God is saying, trade me your faith and I'll give you salvation, how can God say that to people that don't have any faith? That doesn't seem fair. What's going on? How can we spend what we don't have? If we have empty pockets, that doesn't seem fair. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Many believe that the author of Hebrews is Luke, the doctor. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy that was set before him? You ought to go ask yourself that question when you have time. If you've been around here for a while, you've probably heard the answer to that question. If you haven't, find somebody who has and get it because that's good stuff. But let's go up because back, Hebrews, there we go. All right. Such power. He, Jesus is the author, meaning he's the creator, he's the maker, and he is the perfecter. We've been talking about this for several weeks now. That Jesus authored my faith. He created my faith. This faith is actually something that Jesus is bringing to the equation. How can that be? That Jesus is coming to the party, and he's bringing, he's bringing the appetizer. Faith. Well, let's keep going. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now, much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Doesn't this seem strange to you? Because right here, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That sounds like you better get busy, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound like, hey, you better do something because a lot depends on you. But then the next few words, for it is God who is working in you. So which is it? Am I working or is God working? Well, the reality of it is, is that I'm working out my salvation, meaning I am trying to bring to the surface of my life an internal reality that has already taken place within me. That God has already done something, and God is doing something, and through fear and trembling, which means through worship and awe and adoration, I'm bringing to the surface of my life the reality of something that has already taken place in me, because God is at work in you. Did you ever see the movie Alien? 
you know? You know what I'm talking about? Something's going on inside there. And if you're a Christ follower, if you're in Christ, something is going on inside of you. And trust me, it's not for your self-protection. What's he doing? Romans chapter 12. Y'all tracking with me? You with me so far? Anybody angry yet? All right. Just storm the stage. For by the grace God given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of oh, faith God has given you. Wait a minute. Now what we're beginning to hear is that God is, Jesus is the author. He brings the faith to the party. God's taken this faith and he's working something inside of me. And now it clearly states that God has given me a measure of faith. I'm not bringing faith as an exchange for what Christ has done for me. This isn't heaven money. This is something that God is bringing to me. This is a gift from the Lord that I would have faith. Okay. Sunday morning. You've only had one cup of coffee. Why is God doing this? Well, let's go to Romans chapter 8. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. Now, let me stop there for a minute. Because we've been talking about this, that, that in this, this kingdom that we're born into, this kingdom that's spiritually dead, this kingdom that is not the kingdom of God that we need to be rescued from, the place that we need to be escaped from, Scripture says that place is death. Scripture is saying that this place, there's no life here. And you remember a few weeks ago we said that Jesus didn't come to give me a ticket to heaven. That's a side effect of what he came to do. What Jesus came to do was to make me alive. I was dead, and he came to make me alive. And the journey that I'm living now, this working out my salvation with fear and trembling, is starting to learn how to breathe the air of the new kingdom that I've been born into. So what Paul is giving us is a little bit more understanding of what this dead place was and how dead it is. He said that the mind governed by the flesh, this place over here called death, is hostile to God. It's an enemy of God. It doesn't submit to God's laws. And then look at this, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Hebrews tells us that without faith it is impossible to please God. In this place over here we cannot please God until God brings faith into my realm. Let's keep going. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. We've been rescued from the place of death into the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they cannot belong to Christ. You ever question, do you have the Spirit of God living inside of you? Are you a believer? If you say, yes, I've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, you have the Spirit of God in you. You can't live over in this new place of the Spirit without the Spirit being in you. That's the mark of being in this new place. Okay, so we're spiritually dead. Let me try to explain a little bit about this place over here. Have you ever been to a funeral? I hope this isn't too tender of an illustration for some of you, but, I mean, when you go to a funeral, 
what does the person that you're honoring do? It's a trick question. They do nothing. They, they don't work the room. They don't do the meet and greet. They don't make sure everybody has enough stuff in their cup. I mean, they're dead. There's nothing for them to add to what's going on. They're just there. They have no responsibility because nothing is expected of them because they have no capacity to do anything. So why would the Scriptures say that this place over here is spiritually dead? It's saying that we don't have the capacity. In fact, what we read in Romans chapter 8 there, we do have the capacity to do something, and that's to live in this place of death completely and totally. Let me explain. My grandfather... uh, Y'all would have loved my granddad. He was the funniest guy on the planet. Uh, Big outdoorsman, had a barn, raised dogs, uh, you know, everything from bird dogs, big leather skin, always had a joke, loved practical jokes. I mean, like, would scare my grandmother out of her mind at least once a day. That was hilarious to watch, by the way. And, you know, and then he'd pinch it, you know, pinch it and just laugh, you know. But anyway, my grandfather loved to take us up to the barn when he fed the dogs. Because he had a rule about dogs. They serve me. I don't serve them. You may have a different philosophy. You can take that up with my grandfather, all right? And he goes, I feed my dogs once a day. And, uh, and if they don't eat while I'm in the barn, getting everybody else fed, then, they're, then they go hungry. So they're, the dogs learned that when he put the food down, it was like they went, <laughs> you know, they're just inhaling it because my grandfather would take the food away. Just, I'm through. I'm ready to go back to the house, you know? Well, puppies learn this really quick. And so we loved, as grandkids, we loved when the dogs had puppies because they're puppies. Let's go to chapter 7 of if you're a kid, that's what you love, all right? They're puppies. But the great thing is my grandfather would say when he's getting ready to put the food down, stand back. Because let me tell you something about puppies. As cute as they are and as cuddly, and I know their breath still smells okay, even though, you know, you know what I'm talking about, all right? You know, they, it, they're just so sweet, except for when they're hungry and food gets put down. And they attack the bowl. Matter of fact, they attack the bowl, the bowl with no concern for each other. They just come at it like ten puppies at once. <laughs> Piranhas, you know, just consuming this dog food and biscuits and gravy and all the stuff from our table. What does it have to do with what we're talking about? Hang on, I can do this. I'm going to, it's in a nosedive. I'm going to pull it out. (laughs) I'm trying to help us see that this is what life in the flesh looks like. I am so absolutely consumed with myself that I have no consideration for anybody else. I have no consideration for anybody else at the bowl or anything else at the bowl. All that drives me is my appetites and my desires. The only thing that I am concerned about is me, 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 me. And you say, wait a minute. There are a lot of people that do a lot of great things in this world that would never be a Christian. How can you say that that in this world over here that it's all about me, me, me? Well, Scripture says something really interesting in Isaiah. That even my most righteous acts, even my best acts, even my best deeds are like filthy rags in the sight of God. Why? Why would God say that a good act is like a filthy rag? Hang on. 
When God created man, he created man to have fellowship with him. And when he created man to have fellowship with him, he had to, to know what life is like in the spirit. This is life, that we would glorify the one that made us. That is what God created life for and what he defines it as. Even the greatest acts of things that man can do are like filthy rags in comparison to the real life that we were made for, that our lives would be glory to the Father. God wants to transform us from puppy thinking to living thinking. And the air that we breathe over here is the air of faith. We are called to live by faith. So let's talk about a little bit about what that means. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Do we have that, Stuart? Hello. Hey. Listen and respond, no. We do not have that. Who's got that? Can somebody look that up? Ephesians 2. Dave, can you look that up and come up to the microphone? Yeah, come on up here, man. Verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Okay, let's stop just for a second. I'm not trying to be fancy or funny, all right? But you need to catch what he just said. It is by grace that we are saved, through faith, and this is not a, this is what? How did it say it? What is the gift of God? Faith. Okay, keep going. (laughs) This is so beautiful. Thank you, Dave. You're beautiful, too. Uh, why does the Lord give me faith? Why is being rescued from puppy life? That's so bad because puppies are so beautiful, you know? Let's call it the kingdom of darkness, all right, to the kingdom of light. He gives me faith because I need something. I need a supernatural intervention in my life for me to be able to do something. And what is that? I need a supernatural intervention in my life to give me the capacity to receive grace, to receive the grace of God. And through that grace, guess what? He gives me everything I need for life and godliness. All the promises of God are now received by faith. And Jesus is saying to us, I'm giving you something that's going to give you the capacity to radically trust me with everything. That's so hard. And it's hard. Because if Jesus has given me this, why does it seem like that I'm not living in this? If I've been given all this gift, I'm telling you that, I don't know about you, go with me on this. I was praying about this yesterday. I am, I am radically, radically, radically committed in my life to never trust God. I have been so entrenched in the kingdom of darkness, and I have so learned the puppy world, you know, that it is the knee-jerk reaction. It's almost like automatic not to trust God. (laughs) You know, I'll trust God when it's a last resort. But in reality, I try to manufacture a life that I never have to trust Him. 
I mean, think about that. I never want to put myself in a place where I radically have to trust the Lord, where I'm not arranging my life to say that, hey, we're living by faith, not by sight. We're going to use this great gift that God's given us, and through that gift, we're going to receive the grace of God and all His gifts from God, and we're going to begin to experience God work in our lives in remarkable ways, and we're going to constantly put ourselves in that position of living by faith. No, I often put myself over here in this position of never having to live by faith. I'll live by faith when nothing else works, but I'm not going to work my life to that. Like, I'm not going to give so much of my stuff that I'll look to God and go, you're going to have to take care of me now. Like, I would never do that. Would you do that? I mean, seriously. Like, think about the problems that you face in your life. Don't you try to fix them? Don't you try to figure out how do I get out of it? When you're in pain, don't you try to figure out the easiest, quickest, fastest way to get out of pain? You know, what, why would we ever want to say I'm camping out in this place of pain because this is where God has me so that I can trust in him and believe in him and by faith I can receive his grace in ways that I would never even be able to receive it if I wasn't in this place of pain. If I wasn't in this place of struggle, I would never get to see God the way that I'm going to get to see him. You know the song, Hosanna, when we, we sang that earlier? Open my eyes to things unseen. How do you think he does that? You think he sends you to Cancun so that you can have an all-exclusive resort and you can say, hey, in that place, come on, comfort, you know, drink another pina colada and I'm going to reveal myself to you? Well, sometimes he does that, but guess what? A lot of times he does what Jesus said. Catch this, Luke chapter 9. Deny yourself, come after me. Take up your cross and follow me. The flesh over here goes, you got to be kidding me. There ain't no way. Why would God who says he loves me call me to die? The spirit over here, we know what those words are. Those aren't invitations to death. That's an invitation to life. That's an invitation to real life, the life of faith. You know, the last time I was in Africa, some of you were with me. We were in northern Uganda, middle of nowhere, at the glorious African Pearl Hotel. And we're going to sleep and, you know, jet lag and under the mosquito net and everything. And you're just praying to God that some creature doesn't crawl underneath your door and, like, consume you from an alien planet. Because, you know, it's also foreign. Middle of the night, I wake up to hearing a woman scream. What? Like, just, just screaming. Hmm. What do you think I did? I screamed back at her. Ah! I want you to know that, you know, I immediately started praying. <laughs> Dear God, whatever is getting her, please don't let it get in this room. Man, you want to talk about living by faith. Lord, I have no resources. My cell phone doesn't work here. I don't have Facebook. I can't text a friend. You know, nothing works here. By faith, Lord, my life is in your hands. Would you pour out your grace if this is the end of my days? I can't wait to meet you. Take care of my kids. Get them in college. You know, that, that moment you're like, man, that's just a beautiful place. But when I come back to America, oh, stay away from that place. What about marriage? Much like Africa, women screaming in the middle of the night. <clears throat> I'm not kidding you. I don't think I've ever been in a place that I've been more afraid to live by faith than in my marriage. Because I don't speak woman. I don't understand 
a word you guys say. And you don't speak man, but you pretend you do, and that scares us. All right? I, you know, and all joking aside, marriage is a place where I have to come and say, I have nothing, Lord, except my trust in you. You're going to have to show up. And you know what God says when we do that? He loves it because he says, finally, you've come away from the delusion of thinking that you have any resources that are going to make any difference in this spiritual world. Finally, you're letting go of yourself and you're dying to yourself because when you step over here, guess what? I'm going to kick open the door and I'm going to show you the storehouse of the wealth that I have for you, my son. But until you let go of all your little stuff over here, your puppy chow, you're never going to come over here and say, Lord, I just have nothing. Fill me up. You dragging with me? How about emotions? Oh, puppy chow emotions. Over here, what I feel is real. And what I feel is true. This will be the world that I live in. <laughs> C.S. Lewis said, Faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. <laughs> Isn't that powerful? So the Lord wants us to abandon our small selves. He longs for us to know Him, participate with Him. So why? So that we can glorify Him. Okay, a couple things I want to say before we end, because how much of this do I need to live over here? How much of this? Well, some people would say you need a lot of it. Matter of fact, you need more than what you got. Some people would shame you in what you have so that you'll do something that looks like you're getting more faith, you know, so that it appears that we're actually in control. But when you come to the Bible, you see a different story. Jesus says the faith of a mustard seed can move mountains. A mustard seed, all right? A faith of a mustard seed. What are you kidding? Are you kidding me? What Jesus was letting us into in this world over here is he says it's not the amount of faith that you have, but it's actually the presence of faith that you have. It's the presence that Jesus has come in. In other words, what Jesus is saying is it's not the strength of this that has power. It's what this has faith in that has power. In other words, it's not the strength of my faith that brings me into this paradigm of participating with the divine and understanding that I have everything for life and godliness. It's what that faith is in and the power of that thing that I have faith in. Let me give you an example. because I know it's kind of confusing. Imagine that you're terrified of flying. Now, you may not have to imagine that. That may be a reality for you. Uh, okay? God can set you free from that puppy living. All right? No. Hold it. All right. And... Let's imagine that you have a fear of flying. And so you're getting ready to go on a trip, and you're like, you know what? I, I, I just don't know if I can get on that plane. And so you talk to your friends. You pray. You, know, you, you get up just enough courage, just enough faith that you're not going to die in that plane just to get on it. And you're just clinging to the seat in front of you when they lock the door. You know? And you got your, you know, your barf bag right in front of you because you're just falling apart. But you're on the plane. Now, let me ask you this question. The plane's taxing away from, you know, the gate and getting ready to take off. How much does the mechanical soundness of that plane and the skill of that pilot depend on the level of faith that you have sitting on that plane? 
Do you think the pilots up there going, I don't think they believe in this. I, did, I can't remember anything. How do we take, what, what are we sitting in? Good Lord, this thing is actually going to get off the ground. No. He's skilled. He's trained. Because even though you have that much faith that got you on the plane to where they lock the door, your faith is in something that's even greater than your faith. And that's the skill of that pilot. It's the mechanical soundness of that plane. You see what's happening here? Is that when we come and bring our little bit of faith that the Lord has given us into the equation, and our faith is in the powerful, almighty God, guess what begins to happen? Unbelievable stuff. Read the story of Abraham and Sarah. You know? What God said to Sarah, she, she was old, like in her 80s. You're going to have a kid. She laughed so hard that that's what they named their kid after. Right? But in Romans chapter 4, Paul says it was credited to Abraham as righteousness that he believed in the promise of God. That Abraham had just enough faith to laugh at God when he promised him something. Okay, well, that's good for salvation. Let me wrap this up. What about the rest of life? Colossians chapter 2, you want to write that down because in verses 6 and 7 it says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. Just as you received Him, how did you receive Him? By faith, continue to live in Him. Rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thanksgiving. Well, what does that mean, to live in faith? That I don't just trust Him for my salvation, I trust Him for my kids. I trust Him for my marriage. I trust Him for every aspect of my life. I'm living in a place of faith. Let me jump ahead and just try to explain what that means. Um, because some of you are sitting here this morning and you're single, and you're like, well, what does it mean to live by faith? To rejoice in the place that you are. For you to believe the promise of God, that he's working all things for your good. And you're not married because God is good to you. And you need to trust in that and say, Lord, I don't feel like trusting you in that. Uh, get away from the puppy child emotions and come over here and say, Lord, what little faith I have, I put my faith in you. Pour out your grace on my situation. Some of you are in marriages this morning to where you're like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. The person that I'm married to, you you got to be kidding. They're ridiculous. I want out. And God is saying, no, you can't leave. Why? I hate divorce. That's what God is saying. And you know what? I've got something powerful for you here. And as painful as it is, would you bring your faith that I've given you, by the way, as an ability for you to receive my grace in this position so that you can see me like you'd never seen me before, even though it's hard. Some of you this morning, your sexual journey has got you so twisted up in your head, you don't know what to do. And the Lord is saying, you know what, you got to trust me with that. Because any sex outside of marriage, God is saying, no, no, if you're living with somebody today and you're not married to them, God is saying, that is not my will for your life. I'm just telling you straight up. And you're saying, well, you're walking out of here looking at each other going, uh-oh, 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 what did he just say? How do we do that? By faith. We come to the Lord. You guys come to the Lord and say, Lord, I, 
I don't know how to do this. But by faith, we come to you and say, we know that you have life and you are calling us to life and we want to live the full life of faith that you've called us to. So we're going to trust you. Would you pour your grace out on that? That's scary stuff, isn't it? Some of you don't have a job here this morning. Faith. Some of you say, I am waiting to understand God's call in my life. There's nothing more powerful to bring us into this place of the Spirit than waiting. Because it is so painful. Some of you have voices that are haunting you from your past that when I say to you, God loves you, those voices say, no, he doesn't. When I say to you, God is calling you into real life, you hear, no, he's not. When I say you can live by faith, those voices say, they can, he can, I can't. And you go back to your puppy living because you actually believe the voices that are saying, this is the best you can ever do. Some of you got the email this week that our budget's tanked. Did y'all get that? (laughs) I love it. I love it. Because there's no fear here, guys. You know that if they kick us out of Rocket Town because we can't pay our rent, which I don't think they do. They're, They're beautiful people here. But if they do, guess what? Next week, church will be in the parking lot. And if they won't let us meet in the parking lot, then next week we'll reach over at the rescue mission. You know, and if not, hey, my backyard is open because we're not going to stop what God has called us to do. You know, we're just trusting that by faith, the Lord will give us everything we need to do exactly what he's called us to do. And he may be saying, I don't want you to Rocket Town anymore. I want you in the parking lot. Okay, Lord, where's next? Where he wants to go? This is your church, not our church. What are we afraid of? You think God is in heaven going, oh, good Lord, I wish they would give more. Then we could do what we really wanted to do, huh, Jesus? But you know what? God may be using this situation to ask you, what is it that you love? What puppy stuff do you love more than you love the kingdom of the Spirit? And God may be dealing with you, and we may have to suffer while he deals with you. Okay, fair enough. I can deal with that. Because here's what I long for. Last, uh, this summer, I came across this book called Bumfuzzled. Maybe you've never heard of it. Bumfuzzle in Search of Pirates. And it's the uh, true life story of this couple, uh, the Schultzes, who uh, he worked on the Chicago Exchange, and she did something in downtown Chicago. They were urban dwellers. And he came home one day, and he looked at her, and he goes, you know what? I don't think I want to do this anymore. It was the middle of winter. They were all bundled up snow, you know, Chicago. She goes, wow, I can't believe you're saying that because I don't want to do this anymore either. And so they went and got a couple of bottles of wine. Never make decisions on a couple of bottles of wine. But they did, and they sat down, and they said, well, what do you want to do? By the end of the night, when the sun was coming up on the next morning, they decided they wanted to sail around the world. So they spent the next six months selling everything they have. They go down to Miami. I'm not kidding you. It's a great book. No, it's not. It's not a great book because it will mess you up, all right? Because they go down to Miami, and they start looking for boats. And they found one they liked, and they're getting ready to buy it. And the guy's talking about all this stuff, and he says this, this, and he says, go grab that. And she looked at him, and she goes, we don't understand anything that you're talking about when you use these boat terms. He goes, why? Because neither one of us have ever sailed. They have never sailed. They've never even been on a sailboat. And now they're in Miami buying a boat, and they're setting out to sail across the world. Around the world. All right? I'm not, I'm not kidding you. 
bold. Such a fun read. They lived. All right. Three months. Let me tell you what they did. Three months they would sail around the Miami Harbor. All right. You know, just let that little sail up. Oh, that's cute. Let, you know, and now let's go back into dock. You know, it's raining. And they'd bang the boat against the dock. And they're scratching up the boat. And they're banging it. And they're just as miserable, you know. And they're running out of food. And it smells like gas. And they're like, this boat living is horrible. Why would anybody want to do this? Until one day they said, we have got to leave the port of Miami. And after three months of being in the port of Miami, they got outside the portal waters, going to Bahamas, three-hour sail. Real daring, isn't it? And they let up the sail. And guess what? The boat took off. And they realized this boat was not made to be at the docks. This boat was not made to be banging up against the docks. This boat was made for the open water. We had to get away from the place that was safe and in our control for us to understand the freedom and the joy of what sailing is all about. I know that's such a cheesy illustration. But guys, you realize that this safe place where you're in control of everything, that's not the journey of faith. And the Lord may be trying to kick you out of the port to get you to a place to where you're saying, now trust in the radical nature of my grace. Trust the calling that I've placed on your life. Trust my love for you. Come on. You were made for this. This is the air we breathe as those that follow Christ, is that we live by faith. I'll end with this. This is Brennan Manning. <clears throat> the Christ within you. The Christ within who is our hope of glory is not a matter of theological debate or philosophical speculation. He's not a hobby. He's not a part-time project, a good theme for a book, or a last resort when all human efforts fail. He is our life. He is the most real fact about us. He is the power and the wisdom of God dwelling within us. Is that true? Hmm. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness so that we can have him. Let's pray. Lord, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your kindness and your tenderness. Now, Lord, cut us free from the docks. And our fear and screaming, don't listen to those things, Lord. Cut us free from the docks. Let us, Lord, unfold that that sail that you've given us called faith. Lord, let us receive your grace in abundance, your kindness and your love and your grace and your strength. That, Lord, we can begin to experience what we were made for. Lord, would you do this? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.